So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3 as we continue going through Genesis. You can find us on page 3 in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 3, we've been going through 1st, 2nd, 3rd Genesis, understanding the foundations. So here we see the consequences of sin. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me is for the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Father, we pray that you will guide us in this time. We pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding, discernment through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may know your truth and live accordingly. Guide us in your love. Help our hearts and minds to be fixed on you. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Hiding from the presence of the Lord. Hiding from the presence of the Lord. This is an amazing thing because as at different times we've looked at the attributes of God, we understand that God is all-powerful that God is all-knowing, that God is everywhere at all times. How possible is it to hide from God? Not very possible. But we do it all the time. All the time. We find these patterns, and it's one thing to try to cover up or hide something from a close friend or from a spouse or from a coworker and that. But we even find ourselves at times trying to hide from God. And we see this is how it was from the beginning. It's an amazing thing because we do not know how long, we're not given this in the text, we're, we do not know how long it was from when God made Adam and Eve and until they fell. 
what we do know is this, that there is a pattern here of God being in direct relationship with Adam and Eve, of them enjoying perfect relationship, perfect fellowship. And you see this at the beginning of our text. It's this, it's this beautiful scene. Verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, if you just stop there, it seems as though this was something that was reoccurring. This was a normal pattern that God would come and walk in the midst of the garden, and they had this perfect relationship, perfect fellowship. And before the sin took place, before the disobedience, before the taking of the fruit, you would see where God would enter in, and they would come to God. And they would have this perfect time of fellowship and enjoyment and peace and blessing and wholeness with God. But sadly, because of the sin and disobedience of Adam and Eve, verse 8 in our text, there is a difference to that relationship. And the difference is with the word hiding. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So rather than coming and having that perfect relationship, that perfect fellowship, that perfect time of blessing and wholeness and peace with God, now we find a break in the relationship. We find shame and guilt and an overwhelming sense of condemnation. Condemnation. And it drives Adam and Eve to hide in the midst of the trees of the garden. That's why I started the service with Psalm 139. David understood this. David took a great deal of comfort in the fact that there was no place, there was no circumstance, there was no context where he could be outside of God's knowledge, God's love, God's blessing, and God's comfort. Verse 3 of Psalm 139, You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God knows everything. And David takes a great deal of comfort in that, knowing that God is present, God is all-knowing, and God is all-powerful to bring about his will and his work in David's life. We see this theme throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament. Again and again, this is raised up, that God knows everything. Job 34, verses 21 through 22, for his eyes are on the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. There's no gloom or deep darkness where evildoers may hide themselves. You can't get away from God. Jeremiah 23, verse 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? God reminding that he is everywhere at all times. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. And, of course, you have the entire book of Jonah. The entire book of Jonah where even up until the end, 
Jonah is hiding, whether it's physically or emotionally or spiritually, Jonah is trying to run away from who God is and God's will and God's ways. But it's a powerful thing. When we see the Lord come, he had already told them that if they eat of the free, they will die. But when we see God enter into the garden, we see God begin a series of questions. Series of questions. And each one of these questions is an opportunity for Adam and Eve to confess, to repent, and to cry out to God for help. We see where God is coming, and he's displaying the gospel. Remember, God creates from nothing. God's eternal plan is to display himself most perfectly and most powerfully to display his love and to display his justice in the cross of Jesus Christ. We understand that this this plan, this purpose from eternity past is that God will make a people of his own. And how we will make these people is he will come and he will create them and when they fall into sin, he will save them. Completely based on his power his will, and his ways. And what we're seeing established here in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, especially here as we enter into this hiding and running from God in shame and guilt, we understand that Adam and Eve and all of their descendants are completely unable to save themselves. We're going to see an aspect of this total depravity that comes out here is a complete resistance to repentance and confessing. A complete resistance. This is one of the main characteristics of total depravity. Because to repent or to confess means that we before God are saying, (laughs) we've fallen short, we've messed up. And we are in complete, utter need for God to make things right. But remember what sin does. Sin says, I don't need God. I can be God of my own life. But what's the main theme we've been looking at in Genesis 1, 2, and 3? God is God. And we are not. So we're going to see this, this pushback against repentance and confession played out here. So first in verse 9, we see the first question. So here the Lord comes and he asks this question, where are you? Where are you? This is verse 9. This is a beautiful comfort and peace. But the Lord God called to the man. I love this. He's calling out. Adam and Eve are hiding amidst the trees, but God is seeking them. He's searching for them. God knows where they are, but he is calling out to them. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? Remember, up until this point, there was perfect relationship. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was nothing that broke that relationship with God. But now we see where shame and guilt has driven them away from God. 
And here is the response. Verse 10. And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Remember, up until this point, hearing the sound of God in the garden only brought blessing, peace, joy, and life. That's all it brought up until this point. But now there's a change. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. There it is. It's the first time. The first time we have in all creation where an aspect of Adam and Eve, man and woman, now have fear of God. Now have fear of God. That condemnation rests on them. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And here we see where God goes deeper. The reason God's asking these questions is, again, he's providing an opportunity for Adam and Eve to confess, to repent, to go to him for help, to acknowledge their need of him. And he's exposing their heart. This is the whole purpose. Beyond all their confusion, beyond all the gain, the blame and shame and guilt, God's exposing what's at the deepest part of their heart with these questions. So that's where God asks, who told you that you were naked? Who told you this? Who told you this? And we have in the story, the serpent never told them they were naked. Up until this, but God never said they were naked. Adam and Eve didn't say to one another, oh, you know that you are naked. No, it said their eyes were open. And now their own hearts, under the condemnation of God, convicted them of now, rather than seeing each other in perfection and beauty, now you have the introduction of lust. You have the introduction of division and shame and guilt and a tearing down of that relationship. So what we're seeing here is the effects, not only the relationship between God and Adam and Eve, is torn, but we see the relationship between Adam and Eve is torn. And then God gets to the heart of the issue in verse 11. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God goes right to the point. The reason, Adam, that you are hiding, the reason, Adam and Eve, why you see each other as as naked, the reason why you've tried to cover yourselves with whatever leaves and whatever you can muster in your own power and ability, the reason why all this has come upon you is because of disobedience. Disobedience. And through disobedience, your hearts have been hardened toward me, and your hearts have been hardened toward each other. And now, ultimately, what Adam and Eve are going to need our new hearts. This is where we understand the gospel being displayed. The only way that this is going to be fixed for Adam and Eve and all of their descendants, that includes every one of us, is now we are going to need new hearts that rather than being hardened to God are made alive again to that restored relationship to God. We're going to need new hearts for one another 
and we're going to need new minds to understand who God is again in all his glory, in all his love, and in all his grace. We see the responses. The responses have no sign of repentance, no sign of confession. All we see in the response of man and woman is self-righteousness, self-justification, and blaming everyone else doing anything but confessing, repenting, and crying out to God for help. Anything but that. Anything but what is most vital and necessary. And that's what sin does. That's what sin does. That's what's at the heart of total depravity. In the midst of that, understanding that every aspect of who we are is tainted with sin, we understand that ultimately, because every aspect of who we are from conception is tainted in sin, means that we are unwilling to bow before God and acknowledge our complete, utter dependence on him as our Savior and as our Lord. Because what that does is that renders us absolutely powerless to save ourselves. And the sin of our nature keeps saying, keeps whispering the same temptation that the devil whispered to Eve, you could be like God. You could be like God. You could be like God. But what we see is what we need is the truth is this is <laughs> you need God. You need his son, Jesus Christ. You need his righteousness. You need his truth. You need his love. You need his forgiveness. And we are absolutely powerless to bring this about in ourselves. So we see this in the responses. We see this in verse 12. In verse 12, the man replies, the woman, remember what the purpose of the woman was for? Remember how excited he was when God brought the woman? Remember? Whoa, man. That's how he names her. Whoa, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Whoa, man. Finally, he's found someone to partner with and share his life with and be united into one with and what joy and peace and everything is grateful. And all Adam did before sin was just just thank God, give God all the glory that God would love him and care for him so much that he would bring him woe man who is from man and that they would become one. Here we see how sin twists. The man says, the woman whom you gave. Who does he ultimately blame? God. He blames God. First, he blames the gift that God so graciously gives him. And then he blames the giver. He blames God himself. She gave me fruit of the tree. And I ate. No repentance, no confession, no crying out to God for help. Self-righteous, 
self-justifying, blaming, heart hard toward what he truly needs. The help that only God can provide. It's the same for Eve. We see in verse 13, the Lord asked her, what is this that you have done? Again, God asks a question. God comes and opens up the opportunity for repentance, confession, restoration, crying out for help. But Eve follows follows the pattern set by Adam. She says, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. Again, no sign of repentance. Self-justifying. Self-righteous. No crying out to God for help. The author of Hebrews talks about the word of God. So the author of Hebrews goes through the entire book of Hebrews and shows how Jesus Christ is greater than. It's the purpose of Hebrews. Jesus Christ is greater than the Old Testament law. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the high priest. He's greater than the sacrifices. That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises and hopes and all that God presents to the people of Israel. That he is all in all, that he is Lord of lords and King of kings, that he is everything. And it is on him that we are to fix our eyes, fix our hearts, and fix our hope for salvation. Hebrews 4, verse 12, he talks about God's word. As we see where God's questioning Adam and Eve, God is speaking into their lives, and we see how powerful God's word is, not only for Adam and Eve, but for each and every one of us. Hebrews 4, starting at verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. We can't hide anything from God. He knows even the thoughts and intentions of our heart, things that often we do not even know about ourselves. Verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Wow. And what's amazing about those words here in this context of Hebrews, when you read verse 13, what's the first thing that rises in your heart. It's this for me, even preparing this, the first, when I was reading this, when I read this, I'll read it again. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Have mercy. That's my reaction to that verse when you realize how holy and just God is and that he knows your every thought even that thought he knows your every word even 
that word. He knows your every action, even when you did that. He knows it completely at all times. There's nothing hidden from him. And we must give account to him. And when you're overwhelmed, and this is how the author of Hebrews goes on. Thank God for verse 14. If all we had was verse 13, it's it's over. What Adam and Eve didn't understand was verse 14. Here's verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. This is it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with, here's one of the most amazing words in Scripture, confidence. How can we, who because of our sin, and rebellion, and disobedience, and thought, word, and action, every one of us deserves eternal conscious torment. We, we deserve the judgment of God in His holiness and His justice. We deserve His full wrath upon us, yet because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can go with confidence. We can draw near the throne of of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is is the gospel we see where God is, is, is pointing to. He's working this in Adam and Eve. He's showing that for us to be saved when we find ourselves in sin and guilt and shame, rather than hiding or running from God, our only way of salvation is to run to God, to throw ourselves before Him, to cry out to Him, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Remember the structure of the Heidelberg Catechism? Misery. You got to know your misery. Why do you got to know your misery? Because then you have to realize, I need salvation. Deliverance. And once you realize the deliverance you have in this great high priest, gratitude, thanksgiving, rejoicing, joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's, That's the flow. This is the pattern. Yet we don't see Adam and Eve there yet in this passage. In verses 8 through 13, we still find them hiding, covering, unrepentant, self-righteous, self-justifying, blaming those around them. Yet God still comes and tenderly speaks to them and exposes their hearts for what they are. 
in Revelation 6. In Revelation 6, verses 9 through 17, you have, you have the parallel. It's amazing. So many of these deep truths that are laid out in Genesis are then brought up again and their fullest meaning exposed in Revelation. You, you would think there was a God. You would think there was a God who breathed and inspired and wove this all together. Well, there was. And here we see it again. You see these themes touched on in Genesis, woven through the entire Bible, and then raised up again for their fulfillment in Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 6, you have the fifth seal and the sixth seal open. The fifth seal and the sixth seal. And you have two different groups of people. When it's all said and done, when God returns and all is finished, and you have the new heavens and new earth, you have the judgment seat before God, this is the summary of everything. So you have two groups of people. So this is a way for the scriptures to say, which group do you want to be in? Who do you want to be when the seals are open? And the roll is called up yonder. I know in the little church I grew up in, when the roll is called up yonder, what do you yell out? I'll be there. That was the whole hope. So here we see this in Revelation 6. So here's two different groups of people, and we see the parallels between what's going on in Genesis 3. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So here they are crying out, how long they are yearning. They are hoping, they are desiring that Christ will return and all be made well. That the new heaven and new earth, that sin will be taken care of, that God's full judgment will be rendered and all established. They're longing for it. They're looking for it. They're hoping for it. Verse 11. Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Remember God's patience and long-suffering so that his full elect will be called in? So that's one group. One group who looks and longs for the return of Christ knowing that in him is their salvation, in him is their everything, and knowing that regardless of what sin or disobedience or rebellion they've lived in their lives, that Jesus Christ, the great high priest, the lamb who is slain, the king of kings and lord of lords, even though in their sin they were naked and exposed, they know that Jesus Christ has clothed them. In his righteousness. That's the white robes here. 
This is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So they know that in the eyes of God, they're naked and exposed. But because of the grace of God, their faith is in Jesus Christ alone. And knowing that by God's grace alone, they are clothed. So that when God sees them, he doesn't see their sin. He doesn't see their rebellion. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, imputed to them. That they are reckoned righteous before God Almighty. So they long for the return of Christ. Because they're clothed. They can come with confidence before the throne of God because of what Christ has done. But then there's the sixth seal. Verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand we understand that the return of Christ either we'll be able to stand in confidence before the throne of the great king who is going to render his judgment We can stand there in confidence because of the work of Christ on the cross. In our faith in him, we are clothed in his righteousness. We wear the white robes. And it is a day of wonder and joy beyond our hope and expectation. But if we are not clothed in Jesus Christ, if we persist in unrepentance, unconfession, we persist in a disregard for who Christ is and what he's done on the cross and his truth, if we persist in unbelief and rebellion when Christ returns, we will be naked and exposed. And nothing will be able to hide us at that point. So it's my hope and prayer for every one of you is this. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Because what we see in the scripture is if you come to realize your sin, your misery, and you come to understand what deliverance means, and you find yourself running to Jesus, well, what you'll realize first and foremost is God had already been running to you. 
as the father was already running to the prodigal son when he saw him from far off. Run to Jesus. For there is peace, there is hope, and there is forgiveness. You can be made right by a loving God who cares that much that he would send his son. Let us pray. Father, we thank you We thank you that even when we are hiding in shame and guilt, when we find ourselves blaming and covering up, that you come and you speak your word into our life, that you expose our hearts, that you shine your light into our darkness. This is grace. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know your your Son as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray. I pray that they would hide no more. That they would realize every sin is forgiven. The precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, washes completely clean. And rather than dread, they could look to the return of your son, Jesus Christ, with hope and joy and longing. Father, I pray that you would help us all to understand that Jesus is not only our our Lord and King, but our greatest love. In Christ's wonderful name. Amen.